Welcome, this is Taylor with Millennial Mission. You're listening to episode three of the My Story podcast, where my good friend Elizabeth, she shares her story of her life, um, her struggles, also her conversion and coming to faith, and it's good, so I'm excited for you to listen. Just so you know, you can also listen to this on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, and of course our website. And please comment on there if you um, have share a lot of the same struggles with Elizabeth. And that's it. Let's go. Beatboxing. I can't tell the difference between the drums and your beatboxing. <laughs> it's the exact same. I'm sure you'll hear it once you play it over. Yeah. Okay. So I'm with Elizabeth and like legit, she's probably one of my favorite people. And if I haven't said to you that to you in person, um, if you're listening to this, that you're, you know, if you're not one of my favorite people, that means you're not. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if I have this, I have this upper pantheon, and Elizabeth is in it. And I think one of my favorite things about Elizabeth, well, other than just kind of um, messing around um, with her, is just her ability. Like you have that ability. I feel like I kind of have that where I can go from like really ridiculous, like me and my cat onesie, down to like, <laughs> but being like super serious and like people like don't know that about you. That it's like you can get. Real, I don't think not that I think that's a thing, but like, um, I don't know. You can just get really real, honest, um, and vulnerable. And especially like, I remember when you and me met just a couple years ago, and like, getting to know in your story, I was like, whoa, there's this like level of depth I never knew existed. Yeah, it's there. <laughs> it's there. You got to bring it out. You got to wrestle it out. Yeah, it takes a a little bit of effort. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, what were I guess? What were you like? What were things like for you like growing up? Well, growing up, I was raised by my grandparents just from the very beginning. I was brought home from the hospital straight to their house, and I've lived there my entire life till I was around 17. And just my mom was going through some really hard times. She was, like, homeless, and I guess I don't know all the details, but I ended up staying with my grandparents my entire life. They actually officially, like, legally adopted me when I was seven. And growing up with grandparents, they were in really poor health. So I grew up my whole life, like, being around, like, just a lot of, like, I had a good childhood, but there was just always, like, that knowing that something bad could happen at any second. And I think that played a lot into when I got older and I started realizing how serious things were with their health, that I, like, started getting a lot of anxiety And I was even hospitalized in the fifth grade because I had a really bad panic attack. And that shaped a lot of my childhood, just trying to get through it because I was never medicated, never went to counseling for it. And luckily, I was surrounded by a lot of good people. Even though I was raised by sick grandparents, I had a lot of supportive family and I had a lot of cousins and I look back really fondly on that time, and one time in particular, my uncle, his wife was a very devout Christian, and we would go to her church every now and again. I didn't grow up in any faith whatsoever, like, I didn't even, like, God was such, like, a fantasy idea to me, 
I remember like going to her church and like it was like a church of Christ or whatever. I'm not sure. It's the church of Christ. The <laughs> is only one. I don't <laughs> it was one of like those. I think it was like a branch off like a Baptist type church. But they made like the kids go downstairs during the sermon and like they made us draw pictures. And I remember we were drawing pictures of like Adam and Eve and like it was like in a coloring book and like they were naked. <laughs> and I was like so offended by that. I was telling them, I was like, where are their clothes? And they're like, oh, well, they didn't have clothes back then. They were the first people ever. And I was like, oh, uh, well, they could have sewed together something. <laughs> and so like I was just like. I don't even know, like, just mocking everything, like, because I just didn't grow up with any faith, so I thought they were just, like, trying to tell these stories, but they, like, actually believed it, and so I was just, I think that was, like, the first time I became intrigued was just, like, the fact that they believed all these, like, crazy stories, like, the whole Noah's Ark thing was, like, so crazy to me, but they truly believed it happened, and later on, like, throughout, um, my childhood. Eventually, my uncle divorced his wife, but I remember upon them being divorced, like at this point, I was going through anxiety and whatnot, but I was at the age where I was like curious about everything. Like I was trying to find like the meaning of life, I guess, that people look for. And I think my anxiety was a big part of that because obviously when you're going through that, you're like looking for something a lot bigger. And so I was wondering like, gosh, life isn't supposed to be like this. Like, and I knew that whether they believed in those crazy stories or not, they had like that happiness and that peace that I didn't have. And so even like upon their divorce, I asked my grandma, I was like, can we still like go to their church and everything? Cause like I really liked them and I loved their happiness and their in the spirit that they had. And at that point, my grandma said, well, if you are going to go to a church, you should go to a Catholic church. And that was the first time in my life, this was around like middle school, that I even heard the word Catholic. And so I was like, oh, you mean I have to go to a different church if I even want to go to church? Do they have coloring there? <laughs> do they, do I, can I color naked people in the basement? <laughs> do they have really nice old people? <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> Too many old people. <laughs> Too many. Well, we never really did go to church afterwards. Um, until like at that time my grandpa was like extremely sick like to the point where he was getting hospitalized every month just for like whatever like diabetes coronary heart whatever I don't even know like the name of everything but at one like every time he went into the hospital I remember like priests would come up and visit us and I was just like why do these priests always want to visit us and I guess because my grandma and grandpa were married in the catholic church like were on their list of people they have to visit when, you know, they're going to the hospital to visit sick people. So I came acquainted with priests before I even knew anything about the Catholic Church. And I even remember there was, like, a nun, and she, like, gave me a prayer book, and I was like, oh, this is so nice, thank you. And I, like, still have that prayer book, and I'll just read through it. So anyways, fast forward a little bit. Um, at one point, my grandpa was really sick, and I just remember telling him, like, oh, you got to go back to the hospital. So he went back to the hospital to, like, get some fluid drained out of him or something. But while he was there, he, like, went into, like, full cardiac arrest. And I don't think people understand the difference between a heart attack and cardiac arrest. Heart attack is just, like, like your vessels are blocked. Cardiac arrest is when your heart actually stops and your breathing stops and you're, like, you're, you're about to die. Mm. So usually, like, within, like, you, they say without oxygen, you can, like, survive for, like, five minutes 
Well, he was like that for like an hour, like an hour and a half or something like that. Holy crap. <laughs> so I remember like I was at school. I was kind of a troublesome kid. And my grandma came up to the school and she like just like grabbed me out of the office and she like raced me out the door. And I was just like, what did I do? I didn't do anything this time. And she and she was telling me like, you're not in trouble. Like we need to go see your grandpa right now. I was just like, oh. And she was like on the verge of like having a meltdown. And so we just drive up to the hospital and we go to like the intensive care unit. And I guess they had a machine doing CPR for them because they had been doing CPR for so long they couldn't do it anymore. Like they were physically exhausted. So they had like a machine doing it. And like the doctor came out and talked to us and he's like, there's really like no point at this. Like we've been doing this for like an hour and a half or something crazy like that. And so that was that was that I thought at that moment I was in like eighth grade that you know I was gonna lose my grandpa and like growing up with my grandparents like they were like my parents like I didn't call them mom and dad but I didn't know anybody else who would have been mom and dad for me so that was like a really pivotal moment in my life but like five minutes later like some nurse was like his heart's beating again and like they start like doing like they start like giving him some medication that's supposed to like make his heart beat again and so I guess they got him like his heart to start beating at a normal pace but the doctor's like well we'll keep an eye on him for a few days but then we'll do like a brain scan to see if he's like even there so they so we were just gonna be prepared for that but then lo and behold, like three hours later, he like wakes up and like he's got like a tube in him to help him breathe. But he's still like doing like sign language, like with his hand, like what happened? And the doctors were like so amazed, like for years afterwards, because he would still have to go to the hospital. They called him the miracle man every time he was admitted to the hospital. And they, crazy. Like, they, they knew our whole family and it was so funny. But anyways, during that time, because he had been like pronounced dead he was basically dead for like an hour um like his like he lost function of like his legs and his arms and whatnot even though it wasn't that great before um they decided to try to do some rehab to like teach him how to walk again and blah 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 and so during that time um you know father dan well at the time he was deacon dan and he came up to the hospital visiting like all the clergy did do you want to describe Father Dan for people that, Father I mean, all people that don't know him? He's very, he's very unique. Oh, uh, how do I describe him? Well, I, like, maybe what was your first impression my of when you met him? Well, I actually, I wasn't a part of, like, this first encounter that my grandma had with him. But I remember her coming home and just being like, this young guy, like, this deacon, he, like, comes up to the hospital. He's trying to get me to come back to church. And she's, like, telling me the story. She's, like, telling me how he was, like, trying to push into her. <laughs> like, like Father Dan does. He always likes to ask questions, try to get people, you know, to talk to him. And, well, she didn't really like that. So she came home, and she was, like, he even convinced me to give, like, give him my phone number. And so I was just, like, okay, that's really nice, Grandma. And so, like, two weeks later, my grandpa's still in the hospital at this point. He was in the hospital doing rehab for, like, a few months. Uh, Father Dan actually calls her, Deacon Dan, and I remember coming home from school, and she was like, that deacon actually called me. And so she went up to um, our local parish, um, St. Mary's, and I guess she had a meeting with him. And she came back, and I guess the meeting went really well because she, like, comes up to me. She tells me, she's like, would you like to, like, come talk with this deacon about the faith? Because at that point, 
like my grandpa he had a bible and I would like pick it up every now and again and just read it because I was curious and my grandma would be like don't read that you need someone to help you interpret that and so I was like okay and she was like telling me all like the scary things that are in the bible the spooky thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> like Maccabees even though this was not a catholic bible so it didn't have anything like that in it but so I go up and I talk to Deacon Dan and I get to meet him. And I guess my first impression was I was surprised to see a young person working in the church because he was like 28 at the time. I was just like, why is this like, is he like a, like, is he in charge of this church? Like, who is this guy? But I mean, he's super likable. Yeah. Like, he has that gift. I feel like if I was going to like how I always describe Father Dan. So for these, those of you guys listening, so me working in campus ministry. So my first year. Father Dan was my boss, and he's kind of like if you had a frat bro <laughs> that became a priest, and it was just super good at talking to everyone. He's just like <laughs> yes. super relatable. Like that's just who he is. He's he's just got a, like a gift for it, and he's just very broy in, yes. in a good in all the good ways of being a bro. So yeah, so we like we're just like it was just like a meeting where like we could ask questions about the faith. I guess it was like a private meeting with him. And so I guess I got to ask, like, my random questions I had, like, having no idea what the Catholic Church believed in or anything. And it went so well that we decided to meet with him every week. And so, like, for that whole summer, like, after, like, my grandpa had, like, his cardiac arrest, like, we would meet with him every week. Then eventually he, like, introduced us to Rafi. And so Rafi, who was in charge of RCIA at the church. So explain RCIA just for people that don't know. Okay. RCIA is, I didn't know this at the time. The way Rafi described it to me was, oh, you, if you want to learn more about the faith, you can come to RCIA and you can just learn a little bit more. But that's not what it is at all. Basically, um, it's the process needed for people who are not Catholic to be able to come into the church. So it's like a formation process, like a formal formation process. And so I just went into RCA thinking I was going to learn more because I learned some pretty interesting stuff. And <laughs> I remember like the moment when like it was like I had been going at this for a few months. And at one point, um, Nick Pabosik, who was leading it, um, was saying, and when you guys get baptized... And I just, like, stopped. I was just like, wait a minute. We're getting baptized? Like, I didn't sign up for a baptism. <laughs> and so I was kind of freaking out because I started realizing that this was going to be kind of serious. If I'm going to be going to church, I've got to, like, be into it. Like, you don't just go to church casually from the impression that I got that these guys were, like, super serious and... So they had us go on a retreat before our baptism. They had like a youth retreat at the Bethany House in DeWitt. And at that moment, like, I was kind of taking the faith seriously. Like, I was interested enough. But at that retreat... So you, you were more like curious. Like yeah. You, you just, say, you're like kind of in. So what would, even before, like kind of before you go into the retreat, like what else mm -hmm. was going on in your life at that time? At that time, I was a freshman in high school. So basically, the only thing I cared about was friends and the fact that my grandparents didn't know anything and I knew everything. So I was kind of like the typical, just like, 
muddling through life teenager. Like, I was still struggling with anxiety. Like, I struggled with anxiety from the time I was in elementary school all throughout high school. Mm -hmm. So that was still a big part of my life. Um, Sometimes it would get so bad, I wouldn't even go to school. Like, I was just like, I can't do school today. Like, there's no way. And I would be, like, up all night. And my grandma would be, like, trying to, like, calm me down. It would just, like, it just wouldn't happen. So this retreat was really pivotal to me because at the retreat, obviously, they're going to be talking about God's love for you. I don't remember the exact theme of the retreat, but, you know, like, every retreat has, like, their Saturday night adoration, like all the youth retreats do, like the format, like, Steubenville goes by. Yeah, so what is adoration for people that are listening? Adoration is... um, the host, so like the wafer, is consecrated with the priest's hands. And instead of just keeping it in the tabernacle, like Catholics truly believe that this is Jesus. And so obviously the host is going to be put in a monstrance, a gold box, to keep him safe. But during adoration is like the time he gets to come out and they put him in like this nice thing called a monstrance that like displays him so that we can all like kneel before him and pray before the actual like body blood soul divinity divinity of jesus and i mean i was told that i didn't believe it but i was like okay that's interesting but i guess just coming up to adoration they were probably talking about all of that but i just remember in adoration like the whole retreat i wasn't even taking seriously but that night like was that first time that I actually experienced God's love in like a really deep profound way where like how would you describe that oh boy so I mean if you if you can like do your best yeah this moment I was like just coming to the realization of who God is it's like being struck with like his awe like just giving like like God giving that gift of awe so that you know just how big and how great he is and also knowing like the magnitude of his love and it like moved me so deeply to the point where I was just like sobbing like I was on my knees sobbing and like (laughs) that was going on like how long does adoration last like that was like an hour of just crying and realizing that he is real and that he is in like this host that's just like on this altar before us and at that point, I decided, you know, this is real. Like, how can I not get baptized at this point? Like, I made that concrete decision that I did want to be baptized and I did want to go through RCIA. And so from that point on, that really, that was the changing point where I, like, found, like, a reason to, like, love people and just to not be, like, that bitter teenager but, like, to also, like, find some motivation and to find hope, especially with all the anxiety I was going through, like, that, because, like, the joy after, like, just, like, sobbing, like, the joy that's after all that sobbing is, like, it just wiped away all the anxiety, and I realized that I could conquer the anxiety, and so at that point, I just, like, gave my life over to God and like, my whole high school career was just defined by me going on retreats, helping out at church, like, being a part of the youth group. And that is really shaped, like, who I am today. Like, everything that I've been going through since then, 
if I didn't have faith, I don't even know if I'd be here, honestly. Like, I was in, I was at such a low point, I probably wouldn't have been able to handle it. I don't know what I would have done with myself. But fast forward a little bit after the retreat, like, I'm regularly involved with church, and my grandparents are, like, sick all the time. Like, that didn't change. But it came to the point where, like, my senior year, like, my grandpa, like, he went to the hospital again. But at this point, like, he had been receiving dialysis. Like, do you know what dialysis is? Yeah. Yes. You, you want to explain it really quick? Yeah. So dialysis is, like, they take this big machine and they hook up some IVs to you. And they literally filter out your blood for you because your kidneys can't do it. So they literally take your blood out, run it through a machine that cleans it out, and then puts it back in you. It's, like, one of the most grueling things. Like, it, it was so miserable just to watch my grandparents go through that. It's not like I actually watched them at dialysis, but afterwards they would be so miserable, so tired. They'd be like ice cold. And it was just a horrible thing to watch them go through. And so my grandpa went to the hospital and while he's at the hospital, they obviously got to give him dialysis. And like the doctor was trying to find a vein just to put the needle through and they couldn't even find a vein because all his veins had collapsed. And so it just came to that point where the doctor's like, there's nothing, like, we can't even give you dialysis, like, but you need dialysis to survive. And after that whole cardiac arrest episode, he had, like, a defibrillator slash pacemaker in his chest. So I remember the doctors had to have, like, a nice long talk with my grandma and my grandpa, and they had to talk with me about it. But basically, dialysis wasn't going to be a thing anymore. And they gave him basically a week, like once, like his kidneys were that bad. Like if his kidneys weren't being filtered by dialysis, he'd be gone in a week. What was your reaction? I mean, I had been kind of expecting it. Like my whole life I've been kind of prepared for something like this. But we were kind of hoping that my grandpa would make it through my senior year because he really wanted to watch me graduate. But I mean, it just was what it was. Um, Obviously, a lot of prayer was involved on my part. And at that point, Father Dan, now Father Dan, not a deacon anymore, but he was very used to regularly visiting my grandpa in the hospital. So he had received his last rites, like, I don't even know how many times. So basically, um, my grandpa got his last rites, and then they took him to the hospital. Like, I think he came home at one point, and then they took him back to the hospital to turn off his defibrillator and everything but it had only been like a day or so and the toxins were building up really bad in his body like so as soon as they like turned off his defibrillator like he was gone so he just like passed away instantly from the time that they um turned that machine off that was in his chest and I was really lucky to visit him the day before that they took him in for that so I got to have like my last goodbyes and everything so even though it was sad, I had a lot of comfort knowing that he received his last rites from Father Dan and that he, you know, passed away really quickly. So my senior year was really hard because of that. Like, I was, like, doing pretty good, getting good grades, and then, like, afterwards I started slipping and slipping. And then, you know, at the end of senior year, I was just totally, like, I wasn't doing good in school at all. And I went to live with my uncle for a little bit because my grandma, she didn't want to teach me to drive, but I was like 18. So I was just staying with my uncle for a while. And he was like helping me learn how to drive and like get on my own two feet because it was only a matter of time before my grandma was going to pass away too. And so I started going to college 
at Baker in Flint, which I regret now. <laughs> but um, I was living at the dorms there, and then I just wasn't enjoying my time in college. Like, I wasn't in a good place, you know, after losing my grandpa. And then my grandma was getting increasingly sick. And so I just, like, my first semester there, I was like, screw this. I'm not even happy here. I don't like these dorms. I am going to go home and just live with my grandma again and take care of her because she was on the list to get a new kidney. And so I had a long talk with her, and she's like, yeah, you know, move in. You know, you can help me while I'm waiting to get my new kidney. And the day I was packing my stuff from my dorm into my trunk, like as I was closing the trunk, like my uncle called me. He's like, get home right now. That's all he said, and I was like, okay. And so I drive all the way to my grandma's house and I see a bunch of cars there. And this is like in the middle of the day when she should have been at dialysis. So the fact that there were a bunch of people there, I was like, oh, crap, I knew what this is. And as soon as I walk in the door, like all eyes are on me. And I was like, I can see just from looking like my uncle's eyes and like my aunt was there and everything. Like they let me know that she had passed away at dialysis. And that was a shock. That was, there were no, like, last goodbyes or anything. Like, I remember, like, the day before, like, I was at church all day. So I didn't even get to see my grandma before she passed away. And so that was just really, that really took a toll on me. And so just from that point on, like, all, like, I was getting a pretty good grip on my anxiety. Like, especially with my faith and everything. But at that point, like, it just came back, like, full force. And so... Like, I, st- I had already dropped out of college, so there was none of that going on. So I moved in with my uncle, and basically for two years, I, like, sat at his house, like, just grieving and not knowing what to do with my life and trying to battle anxiety on my own, whereas, you know, everybody else in my family was trying to get through the grieving, like, losing my grandma all of a sudden when we had so much hope that she was going to get a new kidney and everything. And it was during that time, like, about a year later, I started going to Newman, I think. And so I was starting to get active back in the church, you know, trying to, like, I was going to Mass every Sunday, but trying to, like, be as active as I was in high school, like, going to retreats and everything. And so I'm, like, still, like, at a point where, like, like, I went back to school, obviously, last fall. I went back to Mott so I could just do something with my time. And... I would say this year's been pretty good, like, even though there's been a lot of ups and downs, I mean, it's only been, like, two and a half years since I lost her, but I'm finally, like, getting a grip, so, like, just being involved with, like, Newman and, like, being able to go to school and, like, just be around people has actually helped a lot, um, Like, obviously, earlier this year, like, I moved in at St. Matthew's downtown so we could have the women's household. And that was, like, so good for me to, like, be in a space where I could, like, be encouraged to be devout in just my daily life. And I would have something to do. I'd be going to school and going to work. And that was so fruitful. Like, I can't even tell you how fruitful that was. And so now I'm just at a point where I'm looking for my own place. And I'm, like, my anxiety is so much better now, like... Like, but just having to re-overcome anxiety has been super eye-opening in of itself. And it's, like, really taught me about God's mercy 
and what his love is really like, like how real it is. Because once you look at it with like new mature eyes, because like I experienced God's love and mercy as like a teenager, but now that I'm like an adult, that's kind of weird to say, but I am an adult. Um, looking at it from that perspective has made it super like, like I just like, it's even more convincing now than it was before. So here I am. (laughs) And now I'm talking to you about it. What would you say that, you know, some of the, if people were going through some of the same things you did growing up, whether that's, you know, losing people that are really close to you, dealing with anxiety, maybe, you know, being curious about faith, what kind of advice would you give them? I know those are three different situations. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's really important to be surrounded by good friends because even when I wasn't involved in church, I had a lot of friends who were like going to youth group and whatnot. And I remember um, a particular friend, she invited me to her youth group. So that really helps to have a good support system like, in high school, I made really good friends. Like, like you know one of my friends, Jordan. Like, she was one of, like, the first friends I made in high school. And, you know, her and, like, all of our other friends are active in their churches, whether they're Catholic or not. And so just being able to make good friends that, like, you can, like, even if your family doesn't go to church, you can at least, like, just say you're going to go hang out with your friends, but actually go to them, like, go to their youth group with them and everything. So just... Find a good support group. How about maybe for people, you know, dealing with loss of close loved ones then? That's a that's a hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just listening to that, you know, I'm just like, man, that sucks. Like Yeah. Um it's hard no matter who you lose because my grandparents were not the first people who I was close with that I had lost in my life. I had mm-hmm. lost other people in my family. But they were the first people, like, because they were the equivalent to being my parents. So as if, like, just imagine losing, like, your mom or your dad or both of them, like, like I did in, like, such a short amount of time. Um, honestly, I can't give you any advice apart from faith. Like, if you don't have faith, I don't know how to tell you to get through that because it is one of the most miserable experiences that anybody could go through. I would not wish it on my worst enemy ever. So... Like, the way I got through it, like, with my faith was just praying constantly and just being consistent in prayer. Because when you're at that low point, there's no way you can't not be consistent in prayer because you have nothing else to turn to. So, like, that's just what I did in my free time was just, you know, trying to find comfort in, like, God's mercy because as Catholics, we have the question of, like, are they in purgatory, or did they go to heaven, or are they somewhere else? And so finding comfort in God's mercy is really all you have. So um, just make sure you, you, if you don't have, like, a firm, like, faith life, use that time to become, like, Affirming your faith because it will form you really well like you will learn a lot and you'll become like really like it will give you so much wisdom and it'll like of course make you stronger but like people say it sounds so cliche but like it really does um just if nothing else just pray consistently through that and you'll actually learn a lot from the experience so otherwise I'm still kind of learning through it myself like just trying to get a, get on 
like without someone who like you would constantly turn to for advice like like a parent is such like a a rock and then trying to like go on without that kind of a rock you obviously you have to lean on God for all of that support so it's just really eye-opening and it's quite the process and it doesn't it's a really long one so I'm still going through that long process yeah and finally I what would you say that you know, what what major journey, I guess, of faith, like going from, I guess, not really, you know, not really sure what you believe, not really believing much of maybe anything mm-hmm. into where you arrived as far as like being a Christian and being Catholic. Like, what would you say to someone going into that? And what made that journey like worth it for you? Well, you need to be like active in your, in the church that you get baptized in. The thing that would, that, made it so fruitful for me was the fact that they had a youth group and so I was able to have so many opportunities to like grow in my relationship with Christ because of the youth group and then with the youth group comes other opportunities just to just be involved in the parish life and with that you know just going to adoration and mass and confession and just constantly like, just being consistent, like, you just have to, like, you just don't give up, like, and especially, like, when you come to that point where, like, you experience God's love for the first time, and you, like, realize that he really doesn't give up, like, I went my whole life not even knowing who he was, and he still brought me to that point, just, like, knowing that he doesn't give up, so, like, why should I give up, and so I just went forward with that mindset, like, this is something, like, like, it's (laughs) such a process to, like, stand in front of, like, the priest and like vow like you're like to be a part of the faith and it's like I'm not going to make that vow worth nothing I'm going to like keep that promise that I made because I went through so much to get there and God you know was so merciful as to bring me there even like just at 14 that's kind of like I don't know very many 14 year olds that just come into the faith like without like influence from their parents or anything so I wasn't going to make that for nothing so I was I had to be consistent so that's it. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Thank you guys again for listening to episode three of the My Story podcast. If you want to listen to more My Story podcasts, so the ones in the future, uh, we have a newsletter. So that's like the EEP URL link below. So just click and sign up for that. And we, we just send Omnia once a week when we have a fresh new podcast for you. Um, Also, if you want to stay connected to us, you can do that on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And that's it. Feel free to binge our stuff. We also have the Millennial Mission Podcast as well. And thank you, especially to our Patreon supporters, especially Libby Wachowski. And if you guys want to help support this podcast, um, help us to continue to improve our audio quality, make it better. Patreon is kind of like Kickstarter. Um, So check that out if you're looking to. Um, You can do anything from like, you know, 50 cents to like a million dollars a month. It would be great. So that's it. 